if one examines the entire Torah Shabbat Peh, he will not find even one reference to the day of Lag Ba'omer. Perhaps we'll say Lag La Omer for those with that custom. If you look from Mesechta Brachos to Mesechta Nida, all through Rashi and Ramban's commentary, you will not find a single reference to this, what we take as a holiday. Our antennas must go up. What is the celebration? Why are no commentators talking about it? What should we be focusing on and celebrating on this, after all, auspicious and holy day of Lag La Omer? Perhaps because of the lack of sources, the celebration can sometimes get confusing and lead us into funny directions. People have some interesting customs, and obviously the customs of the Jewish people have merit and minag Yisrael, the customs of the Jews are Torah in it of themselves. Some people have the custom, as is brought by the Bnei Yisoschar, to play or deal with a bow and arrow, and that has some significance. Some light bonfires, perhaps that's the most popular custom. What is the bonfire about? What is the bow and arrow about? What is the avoda? What is the mindset for Lag Ba'omer? Why did the Jewish people get so fired up about Lagba Omer, pun very much intended? To begin, I'd like to find probably the main source that one could at least imagine that the Gemara is hinting at the day of Lagba Omer. As a Gemara in Mesechta Yavoma Samech Beis tells us that between Pesach and Shavuos, the students of Rebbe Akiva died some of the greatest scholars that the Jewish people have ever seen. Murdering, killing, destroying the largest Torah scholars in the world because, as our Masora teaches us, they did not show proper respect, give necessary, sufficient honor to each other. But there still is no reference to anything to do with Lagba Omer. That comes in from the Sha'arei Tshuva. It's also hinted at in the Chida and the writings of the Arizal that when they stopped dying, when did the 24,000 finally, did that massacre come to a halt? It happened. It ended on Lagba Omer. So there's a quasi-celebration because of the end of the deaths. Now anyone with a little bit of a brain in their head if it's turned on, should ask, yeah, but why should we celebrate? Everybody died. There was nobody left. And indeed, the pre-chadash and the chidah ask this question. Of what reason is that to celebrate? God forbid, could we even utter out of our mouths that one should celebrate after the Holocaust is over? After such a destruction? We've lost so much. How could one imagine that that would lead to some celebration? In listening to a shear on Lag Ba'omer from Rav Daniel Gladstein, he referenced an idea from the Ramot Mipano that I'd like to introduce and broaden and with God's help create a theme around it. The Ramot Mipano suggests that the celebration is due to the fact that Rabbi Akiva was spared. That the captain, 
did not go down with his ship. That really Rabbi Akiva maybe should have perished along with his students that were lacking something at their level. But God, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he spared Rabbi Akiva, now that we have Rabbi Akiva, that he lived on and continued to build his legacy, we're celebrating that Rabbi Akiva was spared. And the Chido seems to cite something like this as well, that Rabbi Akiva, once the 24,000 tragically perished, once he was saved, the Gemara continues to explain to us what he did with the rest of his life. He picked himself up, he traveled south, he found five new scholars, five new students, one of which was Rajbi, Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, who perhaps you've heard a lot about, and he began to teach Torah again. That, the celebration, is Torah Sheba'al was created. All that we have are from those classes, those shiurim, that Rabbi Akiva taught to his five first students. So the celebration is very much about Rabbi Akiva. Now, Rajbi is very much involved because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was one of these five students. He also passed away, according to the Arizal, on Lagba Omer, so it's very much intertwined with the day. And according to the B'nai Yisoschar, he suggests that Rajbi was also born on Lagba Omer. Be it as it may, it seems like Rabbi Akiva plays a very strong role in Lagba Omer. And to broaden this theme, to understand this topic, perhaps we can go back in time to understand Rabbi Akiva's beginnings and what Rabbi Akiva accomplished during his life, why his resume is unique, unprecedented, and unrivaled, and maybe we will understand a little bit more about the day of Lagba Omer. Alvais de Rabnason brings Rabbi Akiva's story. He was a simple, unlearned ignoramus at the age of 40, with very little to no knowledge of Torah. It does seem like he was religious, he was orthodox, but an Am Haaretz. And then Akiva, as a shepherd, sitting by a brook, saw water dripping upon a stone, upon a rock, a very slow and steady drop by drop, and he said to himself, if water what, which is soft, can make an indent, can break, can make an erosion inside of this hard, iron-clad stone, this rock, then certainly Torah can make an impact on my heart, on my head, and I can become a learned man. And perhaps you've heard that story before. I'd like to focus on one aspect of a unique detail that we're given in this story that kind of is clearly playing a large role that we don't always pick up on. You see, Rabbi Akiva didn't just see water hitting a rock. He saw drop by drop by drop water hitting a rock. He saw that water, I want to suggest, with a piece of wisdom that's bounced around my head for a little bit that's probably from someone, I just can't remember who it was. But I'd like to suggest that Rabbi Akiva saw that if you are to put all of the Pacific Ocean, if you're to take all of the Atlantic and smash it down upon a rock to try to make an indent, a small little erosion in the stone, even all of that water will not make an indent. It takes a specific process to make a hole in a rock. It must be continuous. It must be drop by drop. 
it's really fascinating when you get into the physics of it that it has to be a, a drop. Something's maybe small but continuous, and it, I don't know if it is even – it can take maybe a break in between each drop. Maybe there's a millisecond of a break or something, but still that builds up over time to even erode a rock. Remarkable. Rabbi Akiva saw – this is what I would like to suggest – is behind Lagba Eimer. He saw that micro steiging, that growing in small increment growths, that day by day is the way to get it done. This theme actually seems to come up over and over again in Rabbi Akiva's life. We're clued into how Rabbi Akiva began to study HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah, his process, his mahalach. He would sit down to learn and his Rebbe would begin to teach him Bereshis Boro in the beginning that HaKadosh Baruch created the world. Obviously the first Pesach in the Torah. And Rebbe Akiva looked his Rebbe in the eye and he said, Why do we need the B, the base at the beginning of the word? Just say, Reshis Boro. And his Rebbe explained to him the different reasonings that the Torah says Bereshis. And then he would move on, not to the next Pesach, to the next word. He would ask, well then, the resh, the next letter. Why do we need the resh in the word beratius? The resh, what is it coming to teach me? It was a drop-by-drop approach to Torah study as well. This idea seemed to permeate his entire mahalach hachayim and mahalach halimud. The way he would live, the way he would think, and the way he would study Hashem's Torah. It is also worthwhile to take the opportunity to say that we should try to remember this approach in our own study of Hashem's Torah. The Vilna Gon actually educated, he has passed down a tradition, that the way to study Hashem's Torah is to focus in and to have the mindset that the page you are up to, the Rashi, the specific line, the question that you're studying, the answer that you're pondering, one should have the mindset that it's the only piece of Torah that we have left. That this is all that I have, I can't move forward, I can't move backwards, so that a person can have a full mindset, a full head approach towards what he's learning. And only when he fully gets it will he continue to move on. For that is the drop-by-drop approach. Something very important to remember. And it's no small wonder that this story, this background, Rabbi Akiva's approach to life, actually probably very much influenced how he ever got back on his feet. How could a person ever endure such pain and anguish to, God forbid, lose 24,000 of one's students? It's unthinkable. How would a person ever pick himself up off of the concrete after something like that? To lose it all, how could one start again? But the Gemara, the very next Gemara informs us, and it seems like it might have been even the next day, that Rabbi Akiva, after he finished mourning, he picked himself up, he traveled south, he found five students, and he began to teach again. Rabbi Akiva's yeshiva was open for business. So Lag Ba'imer is very much a celebration of a micro-steiging, of a micro-mindset, of a day-by-day, a drop-by-drop approach, because this is perhaps what led Rabbi Akiva to begin again. To go find Reb Shimon Bar Yochai, who ended up teaching the mystical 
Kabbalistic teachings of the Zohar to the world. Lagba Oimer is the beginning of Torah Sheba'al Peh, all of the Torah that we have today, and it was only possible through this Midah that Rebbe Akiva acquired. The way he lived his life, which was, tomorrow's another day, I might as well begin again. A proof to this idea is that we can kind of connect with the first impediment, the first stumbling block that gets in our way before any large undertaking. We almost always think of the amount of effort and the time needed to acquire this, to achieve this, to really become victorious in this great undertaking. And therefore, that often leads to our demise. We just can't imagine doing that much work over that much time. If this is often our demise, can't we at least imagine that an approach should be to have a short-sightedness? To see just tomorrow I'll do it? To see that I'm not finishing all of Shas. I'm going to do one page today and maybe another page tomorrow. Micro-steiging. Not only does it lighten the burden, but it also creates a safety net that if, God forbid, something shouldn't go right, if one should even, God forbid, lose it all, lo aleinu, rachmon alitzlan, one can easily begin again. Because, what do you mean? It's a small, incremental, drop-by-drop growth I can do tomorrow at least. This drop-by-drop mindset, life outlook of Rebbe Akiva is perhaps what enabled his unbelievable Torah prowess, brilliance, and knowledge of all of Torah, which enabled him further with this mindset of day-by-day small incremental growth to begin again, even when he lost it all. And this original mindset is where I'd like to suggest he saw what he saw when he saw that water dripping upon the rock. One cannot take all of the water in the world and make an indent, even the smallest indent on a rock. It must be incremental, a daily process, a tumid, a consistent drop-by-drop approach. Pick that lofty goal that you have for yourself. Imagine it, see it. And then when you have the second thoughts of the effort needed to attain it, cut that down to a day-by-day process. Eradicate all of the other days. Just see today's objective, today's agenda. And when you take Rebbe Akiva's approach, you will continue to build and become, God willing, successful. So sing, dance. Celebrate the holy day. Remember Rabbi Akiva's legacy. Remember that Lagba Oimer was the beginning of Torah Shiba'al Peh. And above all else, remember that the way that this day came to be was because of Rabbi Akiva's micro steiging approach, his day by day approach, Mahalach, that he saw from the drop by drop by drop, dripping of the water on a rock. Think about today. Think about only what is in front of you and put one foot in front of the next until you have accomplished something previously unimaginable.